Okay, so the pizza is ordered, snacks are on the table, beers and sodas are in the fridge, and we are ready to play some Dungeons and Dragons. How do we all know each other? Well, actually, uh... I'm Mo. And I'm Austin. And to avoid problems like this that seem to plague D&D groups every day, listen to this episode of Dungeons and Brews where we discuss Session Zeroes. Finally, we are back. 2024, we are back. Everyone, welcome to episode 14 of Dungeons & Brews. I'm your brewmaster, Mo, and with me as always as the illustrious brewmaster, Austin. How are you doing today? Good, sir. How have you been? It has been one month. One month? <laughs> yeah, it feels way too long. I've been, as Mo knows, I've been itching to get back to recording. I send him a message at least multiple times a week. I was like, hey, can we squeak something in? Can we squeak something in? And it's just been a busy time, as everyone knows, with the holidays. Um, obviously, with both of our jobs, it was a very busy, tumultuous couple of weeks. But we are ready to get get back into it, man. How have you? How have you been? How was your holidays? I'm I'm great. The holidays were fantastic. We could talk about me later, my friend, everyone here, Dungeons and Brews, part of the pop, part of the brew, guys. Our brewmaster Austin, he's now engaged, guys. That's it. Somebody yep. actually said yes to him. Yep. My my lovely, lovely fiance, Sam, I know you are not listening, but um, <laughs> my lovely, lovely girlfriend did say yes. So we are getting married November 22nd uh, of this year. So it's it's a, it's a great time. I couldn't be couldn't be happier. Couldn't be more excited uh, for obviously that most importantly, but and also to get back to the pod and the brew we have um missed you guys beyond belief guys we are we have been making uh lots of moves behind the scenes uh we did i, I think uh brewmaster austin knows but uh i did finish crown of candy i did a lot of binging of uh i'm going back through campaign one currently right now of uh nadpod i am listening mm. to for the campaign one i'm about 40 episodes deep and i absolutely love it uh on that note guys to almost steal it from NADPOD, but Brewmaster and Austin and I have talked about it in the past. We now have a P.O. box. We'll talk more about it here at the end of the episode. I don't have the address yet because your dum-dum of a Brewmaster Mo forgot to pick up the keys, so I do not have it yet. But we will get it to you as soon as we can. Again, we'll break it down a little bit more, but we've had uh, several people in the past uh, ask if they could send us stuff, and you know we politely decline. But now, you know, screw it. We're freeloaders, and we're completely okay with it. And also on the updates while we're there before we dive into, uh, you know, session zeros and everything is that Mo has been reaching out to some creators to partner with. So there should be some interview type style. We're going to see how that works um, here on the podcast. So we'd love to hear feedback when those episodes do come out. But we have uh, been in talks with a couple of uh, smaller creators to hopefully start a, another level uh, of the podcast. But as you guys know, the normal format, we usually have a brew about this time, but I am doing dry January, so we're really a damp January, but a mostly dry January. And so I am not currently drinking. I'm drinking a water, and Mo has a delectable water, also known as Coors Light with it. 
It's basically water, guys. I looked in the fridge earlier and I was like, you know what? I could choose water or I could open myself a whiskey. And I was like, it is currently a Thursday and not a sad Friday. And I have to coach, uh, go into my job tomorrow. So I'm good. But yes, yeah. guys, we do have a something called a Coors Light. Uh, and it is not the a banquet. So I know that a lot of people call that. No, Miller High Life is the champagne of beers. I'm beers, yeah. Mi yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I will cold as the Rockies. The mountains are blue, so then it's uh, ready to drink. Yeah, <laughs> so then it's uh, ready to drink. Just for the old times' sake, guys. Uh, first time in 2024. Just for you guys. It's just me, but you know, it scores light. Come on, everyone's had one. Three, two, one. Did we get it? I think we got it. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, we got it. <laughs> okay, yeah. perfect. But that will take us into tastes like beer. Today's first uh main topic which is session zeros and you might be wondering for those of you who are newer what is a session zero it is just basically kind of a session before the campaign starts where you meet up with the dm you present your idea for your character the dm talks about maybe some backstory things uh different things in the campaign that might be known by some or all of the characters what you know, gods might be worshipped, things that may be considered taboo or not. Is there a lot of magic present? There are lots of things that you can go through in a session zero. I think in a session zero, too, it's you kind of do the breakdown of the world, right? You kind of uh, understand, especially in a homebrew world. I think it is extremely important in a homebrew world to be as clear and as thorough as you can. Mind you, that's not saying reveal all your secrets. Don't say, oh, blah, 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 this, or mysterious thing here, or go check this thing out there. But it is mm -hmm. implying the mysteries through description of the world. For instance, I think it is a great time there to break down the uh, how, excuse me, uh, how economy maybe works in your world. How is the breakdown mm -hmm. of the economy? What is the trade? What's it like? Uh, what's their dealings with other nations? Heck, if they you do have a citizen from maybe a certain section, What's their mm -hmm. uh the foreign diplomacy like against other nations within this world? Right, but it, it's it's definitely it's definitely something that can be as all encompassing or not as you want. It's dependent on how much you want your players to have knowledge going in. So again, that depends on the kind of campaign. So we're gonna kind of go through an example that Mo and I did together recently. Uh, we did a session zero for the podcast campaign that um we are getting ready to start running for you guys all. Uh, and we had- Master Austin, you have to say the whole name. What is it? Alamon, Jim of the Rocky Road. <laughs> uh, but it is, it, I was very excited to get to answering. First off, we did some Baldur's Gate 3 rulings on what we would and would not like included. Um, some some things like shoving as a bonus action, stuff like that, you know, like, that were included that we thought would be throwing potions you know, so if you haven't played Baldur's Gate, there are a lot of rulings that are a little bit different. Uh, but on the whole, I think a good tweak um, for 5e, almost like a 5.5, um, where it, it, it does kind of do some nice quality of life things where it makes the world feel and combat feel a little bit more dynamic. But what I essentially did was ran through some overarching stuff. I gave everybody uh, two different documents prior to the session zero one of them was like a brief history with some like kind of your 
Star Wars-esque intro, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, this blah, 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 and then how we got to today. Obviously, there are some portions of the information that I left out, because some of that relates to the style of the campaign I'm going to be trying running. It's not one that I run very often, a polit more political intrigue style of campaign. So with that, there is some information that, you know, was left out on purpose. Along with that, I gave them a player's guide. And I think, Mo, you had a chance to, to look over that. Yeah, I you broke it down very well. You, uh, I think the, the cool thing about what Brewmaster Austin had created, guys, is that it's basically like, imagine this city, this city, this city, this city, right? And it kind of explains maybe some, uh, you know, things that would be more common knowledge in that, in, the, in that stuff. It kind of breaks down uh, just how how, okay, this is well-known, this is what established this, or, for instance, Brewmaster Austin has created a certain, uh, I'm not going to say necessarily a taboo around magic in the world, but at least a, you know, an eye raise here or two there around magic. Uh, it is, it's how you do a session zero, everyone. Uh, everyone gets together. You break down the topics of discussion. You break down how the conversation should be. Uh, people review mm -hmm. things, check them out. And just you go from there. Session zero to me can be run multiple ways. I think mm -hmm. uh, the way that Brewmaster Austin did it was very well. I, I myself ran my session zero different, but uh, I did it to kind of test my own DMing skills. I was first getting into DMing at the time. Literally, my first thing was the, and I just kind of did it. You know, the typical, hey, everybody meets in a tavern, da da da. But mm -hmm. it works for everyone. It kind of it breaks right. down questions people may have or. Things and so, yeah. right, and so things that I think are, no matter who you are, that should be brought up in a session zero and what your campaign is, is what are the themes of your campaign? Because you want to make sure that you're running a game that your players want to play in. Obviously, that being said, like, the DM has to have some creative, you know, give and take there, but at the same time you don't want to be running a horror campaign if none of your players are interested in that genre or style of campaign you know you want to make sure it matches up so i always give out like you know what uh the main theme is and if there are any topics that might be considered um triggering for some people i make sure to put a warning which i did i made a player's guide for uh everybody where I put a warning on there, um, I gave them some alliances and enemies of the the nation that I created as a whole for Alamod, the major indus industries uh, that people of renown. So these are things like what me and Mo created with the guild, like Puknik, um, you know, Bayquis, you know, Alania Goldleaf, Honar, you know, Gargwin Silverbeard, like all of these people that we created um, for those are the people of renown. People that everyone within Alamond would know and or at least have heard of in some capacity. And then I gave them some major holidays, just things that might come up um, along the, the route of the campaign. I think those main areas should always be included somehow, no matter what your format of found, sessions here. I found this great article on Modular Realms that I was reading, but it kind of talked about like the three main ideas when it comes to uh, the, uh, session zero, but I love the way the, uh, the article, uh, the person broke it down, just play style and etiquette, safety and consent, setting and characters. And in truth, mm -hmm. that's basically what we had last week. We talked about the play style that Brewmaster Austin would like to aim for, the etiquette at the table that is, you know, 
you know, accepted and not. Uh, I think the big one that Brewmaster Austin did a very amazing job at was the safety and consent. I mean, you never want to sit at a table that is somehow, you know, disassociated from what you're okay with as a player. You don't want to discuss. And we've talked about this before on the podcast before, but how important mm -hmm. it is to say, hey, that crosses my own line. I'm uncomfortable with this subject. I don't want to do it. Is that okay? And as a DM, being able to respond to your players' needs and having that line of communication is beyond important. Uh, I think what we did a very good job at last week, and I will say I was kind of, uh, you know what, just call it, I was a dick <laughs> during our session zero. I have an entire character that I created that is basically shrouded in mystery. Is that okay? Yes. Is it annoying for the other players at the table? Yes, <laughs> mm -hmm. exactly. That varies, and but I love to create mystery. I love to create that kind of almost like a a storytelling from you know from a point of intrigue. Like, hey, let's scratch away. What can we find out about this guy? Oh, he said this. Oh, his voice changed. Oh, did he mean to do that? Oh no, let's find out more. But it was mm -hmm. so much fun. Yeah, and a lot of the you know things we went over were just different parts of the world anvil that I had sent for the little hamlet of Vanilla, where everyone will be starting out with. I kind of let them know that my general idea, you know, is that Vanilla and the surrounding area would probably be levels one to three, one to four, so they can ex they don't have to get overloaded with information. I find that unless it's your campaign that you want to start it off in you know a big city like i do have a campaign where it's mostly new players i i drop them in water deep as like their first place and just let them go buck wild pretty much and it, there were shenanigans to do about but i find that if you start off in a smaller area keep them there for a couple levels with like quest or a quest line that you know naturally progresses into the bigger areas then the players get a handle on the world, so they get into things like Mo mentioned, where there is at least a little bit of a distrust of certain magic users in Alamon. Or there might be some underlying tensions from different secret or otherwise factions that have their own you know, agendas. There are things that the players can learn, and they then they are not so worried about I got to write down this PC's name and I got to write down this person and I'm trying to figure out all this stuff. So it's definitely a great way to let your players know, hey, we're we're not necessarily having training wheels, but we're going to keep it in a nice box for a couple of levels, let everyone get adjusted, see how your characters are working out, all that stuff before we really jump into the deep end and expand you into the full world. I think what you even did better than that i let's i love brewmaster austin everyone right from the get-go during our session zero was outright because we're all experienced players the the players that uh that were randomly chosen for this myself included for uh for this campaign we're all experienced players brewmaster austin has talked about it before how he keeps the training wheels on for new players he told us outright no there is no yeah. training wheels for this group you guys do not need them we're not going to baby handhold, right? We're not going to, oh, hey, don't forget to rage. Or, hey, uh, you could use Eldritch Blast. Not saying we have a Warlock mm -hmm. yet, but right. <laughs> but always possible there. But you do, 
you know your players, you know the people sitting at the table, and you know where your lines are. And I think as DMs, we, I think across the board, tend to do a pretty good job at that. You do have the occasional DM or two who maybe isn't listening or maybe tries to railroad or maybe tries to, like, I, nope, I talked about this before. Uh, there's going to be blood in this campaign. Well, mm -hmm. I'm uncomfortable with blood, right? Yep. Okay, well. And I and I yeah. think that there it goes uh, particularly to my view on DM style where I know some DMs, they like the train to go on the track and the players can explore the different cars of the train, but they don't really get to hop off. My, I, I like to do my session zero in my campaigns more like I'm in a bumper car. There is a technically a track because you are not allowed to go outside the bumper car arena, but within that arena, you pretty much have free reign to do whatever you want, like to go wherever, bump into whoever or not. So that's kind of my view on it. And with a set with the session zero what i really enjoyed from the player aspect and what i haven't had in times previous was there was actually a lot of questions about the world and it helped me um, address concerns so i know uh, one of the players asked about economy and asked you know what the you know about the major industries that i listed so for those of you obviously that don't have the player's guide i'll let you know that the major industries that i put down were farming shipbuilding, volcanic quarry and masonry, gem cutting, uh, gem and jewelry crafting, sorry, smithing, woodworking, and just general hospitality. And so obviously he asked like, okay, how much of those are actually exports and how much of that's internal? And which is a great question because you want to know what is making the country money because that usually in most D&D campaigns, there is something going to be evil about the money-making operation. There is usually it's tied hand in hand, or it's going to be the target of whatever plot, you know, to get control of the gym trade or get control of this. So it is a good idea to ask about things like that. And it was really helpful for me to then some things that I maybe hadn't written down, but I had kind of thought out, put them into words and kind of get them more concrete in my idea, along with, uh, I think, Mo, you asked about uh, magic, right? Yeah. Yeah, I I was uh, you guys will find out because we are gonna actually probably do episode one here on the podcast. We just kind of want to have uh, everybody get introduced to it and like just listen to it. We're not gonna make it a consistent thing, but enough where you guys just kind of listen. But I was curious about magic. I actually enjoyed one of our other player, uh, one of the other players' question. But in regards to even just the mail, right? Why is the mail delivered by centaurs, right? Brewmaster Austin, I'm sure had ideas, and you know. I think what was so important, it probably even made you, Austin, just go, you know what? I never thought about that. That's actually a good point. I could probably, why? Oh, probably this, right? And you can reason it out with the players at the table. Like, this is why, this is why. It's very interesting when players end up crafting your world for you mm -hmm. before the game has even started. Mind right. you, that is going to happen as the players go through your campaign. But my God, that's why another important reasoning behind Session Zero. DMs, we mm. think we can do it all, right? I'm going to take all this under my belt, and I'm going to paint my miniatures, and I'm um, a person who uses, you know, actual tiles and play pieces and things like that. Cool. Right. But you remember that thing you never thought about? Here you go. Yeah. Well, and something that I thought think is very um, important about for DMs about having a Session Zero is not 
just to look over the character sheet and make sure nobody's trying to sneak in like a plus five weapon or whatever, you know, some random magic item from another campaign that they homebrewed or whatever. But what I think is super, super, super important is your the questions your players ask give you, the DM, the best clue on how to hook them into the plot. So one person, uh, Danger James, uh, asked about gangs. And so I had already had some stuff kind of mulling over. It wasn't going to be as prominent early on, but I might now add just some subtle drops, tidbits of things where I need to as a hook because I can tell that his character was interested in that because he asked a couple questions about it. Whereas with yours, like I might drop some things about, about magic, about ancestry, about fate itself. I might drop subtle things. It might be later on for some of those because they're more grandiose, but I know that that will enthrall your character. You know, for other characters, they what they ask about as a player usually informs how their character is going to look at the world. And that's a very big clue in for you as a DM so that you can not shift your story, but just make sure that you're making your story appeal in those ways that's going to draw them in. And then once the players are drawn into the story, how often do we all play a video game and you're like, oh, I'm kind of doing side quests. And then you start doing the main quest and you blitz through it because once you're invested in a story, you're going to keep going with the story. During session zero, Austin, I mean, I, for instance, you know, in my campaign, I do know that I... I had a BBEG, right? I had something that just in case, right? Do you have an idea or do you sometimes let the story dictate the BBEG? So I have, uh, basically, I used to do, yeah, <clears throat> I, yeah, I used to do one BBEG. I planned it all out. He was going to be the penultimate. That was, or the ultimate bad guy. And there were some minions that you would fight that were kind of penultimate BBEGs along the way. I no longer do that because I've had campaigns where players have either through clever spell use, you know, really high roles, how they solved other issues. They essentially foiled the plot in such a way that the BBEG kind of was like, okay, well, I don't actually have to go through with this anymore. And there, it was like almost like a redemption arc for them. Yeah. So I now basically have, I, I do my best to have three, one for how I think the campaign will go, one for the exact opposite, because I, I've learned that you need to have a polar opposite, and then one for the mid-ground. So it's like, here's my law, almost my lawful version of the campaign, where they follow all my plot hooks, and it goes exactly where I want. Here's mine for the chaotic version, where they follow none of my plot hooks, and I'm kind of more off the cuff. And then here's one where it's like, they do but shenanigans uh, abound. Neutral. And that's uh, and that's usually where you end up. Yeah. But I now have three you know, boss battles, depending on how you guys go for level five. Like, I have three different ones that I, it's like, it could be any range of things. Um, and it just depends on your choices. So I try to keep it a little bit more open uh, to the story that you guys as a group are pers- are pushing towards and the consequences would then reflect that. I, I think 
that's beyond important. That's that's so important at a table to understand, like, guys, like, the DM doesn't have all the answers right away. You would think mm -hmm. they do, but we don't. Like, there are times where my players' actions and the way they dictate things, the way they turn left instead of right, the way that they, for instance, uh, and everybody in my campaign who's currently listening to this episode, uh, but decide to go to a desert land instead of the place to the north that I was trying to push them. Like, you're going to have those things that come out at the table naturally, and a session zero can really help you kind of figure out maybe... Maybe they're about to go here. Maybe they want to do this. Maybe I am dealing with a bunch of, you know, joking style. But again, the session zero can also say, hey, guys, I'm trying to run a more high fantasy setting. Okay, cool. That's what we'll do then, right? Or, hey, guys, mm -hmm. have some fun, you know, make some jokes. And, you know, you want to make things from the real world canon in my world? Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> right. Just... And, and it also is important to really talk through with your players about the goals of their of their of their character what is motivating them to adventure um so i know one of my players in a uh prior in a prior campaign he had brought up that his end goal was he wanted to kind of have almost a god of war uh type style where he was on an all-out vendetta against the gods so he wanted the power to slay a god and I basically, as we kind of talked over, we created an ability for him to do a massive amount of damage, like an absurd amount of damage, but it would take like two or three rounds of channeling. So he was basically like immobile for two, three rounds, kind of like almost like a Vegeta final flash for your Dragon Ball Z fans. Yeah. Um, and but it was going to do so much damage and ignore all these resistances and do all this stuff that it was like, that is your you know, before even Baldur's Gate 3 came out, that's that's your Gale explosion. You know, that's, it was before that, that was how you, he would kill a god, essentially. Um, and unfortunately, that campaign uh, didn't get to that point um, for him to be able to do that. So I did throw him in uh, another campaign that player uh, played in as like a magistrate later on. But I would have never been able to tailor the campaign, tailor the plot hooks, tailor... Uh, where the NPCs, the information, the books, the lore for him, if I didn't know that that was his player's goal. And that's, other than, you know, obviously the DM helping you flesh out the world, that's probably the most important thing about a session zero is just to figure out what, what motivates your character. Is it just a love of life and they want to adventure, which is totally fine. Or is it like, my parents were slain by a six-fingered man, and I am a Ningo Montoya, and I am here to avenge my father. Uh, you know, it, it really depends. <laughs> Guys, before we move it along, I actually do want to give a quick shout-out. I did mention that article off Modular Realms. Uh, the person who wrote it is uh, Annabelle Collins. It was posted uh, 2023, so last year sometime. But uh, again, I loved uh, their explanation behind the playstyle etiquette, the safety consent, and the settings and characters. I will post the link towards the article in our uh, description of the episode. So make sure to go check it out, guys. Again, if you have questions there and things along those natures. Uh, Brewmaster Austin, time for a dice battle. Ooh, yeah. dice Did you battle. prep for that one? Dude, yeah, I, was, uh, I don't I was think not. he was. So I was not. I grabbed Brewmaster's notebook. We are recording uh, from our homes today. But are you going to a dice rolling website? 
Uh, no, I'm getting I'm getting the dice out. Okay. I just gotta, I just gotta find where I had all my uh, dice. <laughs> I, yeah, there. I'm in my basement, so we're good. <laughs> yeah, but uh, they're scattered about the house. <laughs> wow, nice. Yeah. Uh, current score is nine to seven, guys. I did look it up. Foodmaster Austin took a solid lead in the uh, to end out 2023. Mm -hmm. I don't like that. I don't appreciate that. I think it's bad. And one of my players just got me some new dice. So I am going to roll right here, guys. Let's see what we get. Three, two, one. I got a four. Fourteen. <laughs> there you go. Nine Justice. to eight. Finally. Catching back up. Yes. Speaking of which, guys, I am currently getting into resin uh, uh, dice crafting. I was talking about it with one uh, Danger James, actually, one of the players for the Alamon campaign. But yeah, I just got a resin printer. I forgot to talk about that, guys. I got a resin 3D printer over the holidays. One of my uh, one of my my siblings got or one of my siblings got it for me. So I'm about to start really getting in my hands to a lot more painting. But guys, that leads us to everybody's new favorite game trip, where we dive into the endless expanse of the D&D community's creativity. And just like a mind player, we find the good, the bad, the downright lump-worthy homebrew items. Uh, hopefully, future Mo, you understood to play the music there. Of course I remembered, past Mo. We're having such a great time, after all, and I am always watching. Yep, well, I think I think he did. I think I hear it. Well, hang on. Are you using the voice of God there, Brewmaster? Oh, future Mo? Why, yes. Yes, I am using that voice. Good on you for noticing there, past Mo. Now, keep it up and have fun during this episode. Impressive. Good job. Keep it up. All right. Enough talking to myself now. No, you're good. <laughs> Brewmaster Austin, I think we are going to break down one of your subclasses that you were crafting. I know you've been yes. thinking about it for a while. So I made it off of a site called Homebrewery Natural Crit. So it allows you to format it in the font style, insert pictures and all that for like it's in a D&D &D book. And so it just makes it feel clean. Link in the description as well, guys. Go check out the, yep. uh, the, pre, uh, the episode description. We'll leave a link. I use it all, all the time. It is one of my mm -hmm. favorite tools as a DM to use because of that reasoning it looks yeah. so and you really is lot if you have if you especially if you have a coding background but even if you don't like myself like i was never into coding all that much it's fairly easy to use even inserting pictures changing the font all that stuff um it, you can figure it out within about 30 minutes and be flying so what i got for you guys today was like mo said a subclass that i've kind of been working on for probably about seven months now um and it is a way of the lightning soul monk. So I've always had an issue in by the not because I think monks are weak, but because I think they scale bad into the late game. I think that they are a class that pretty much peaks at levels five, six, and seven. And then after that, they start to fall off because their AC isn't quite as high as a fighter or paladin. They don't have the same hit points as a ranger, fighter, or barbarian, or a paladin. Um, they don't really out-damage any of those classes because they're up until recently, there weren't magic items to increase your effectiveness of your unarmed strikes. Like there were for, oh, hey, I got a flame-tongue sword. Well, I'm still punching for 1d8. Like that's, you know, so I, I took some liberties and changed a few things. So the first thing that I changed was 
the monk hit die is a d10 in this subclass. I don't know why it's a d8 in D&D 5e. It should be a d10 in my opinion. I think it only makes sense. Rangers get a d10. I think it's and they get armor proficiency. I think it's only fair for monks to have a d10. Uh, you can debate in you know the comments or whatever if you disagree with me. Um, but I left a lot of the main abilities the same. So you know the key, the unarmored movement, all that stuff. However, I did up the uh, dice at later levels from a d10 to a d12 for your unarmed strikes. I think it only makes sense for a monk who's got to be up in the mix to hit with a d12. So I wanted that is the first thing I wanted to talk with Mo about is that making a d12 at eight levels 18, 19, and 20. Thoughts? I like it. I think I'm with you. Monks monks are w well known within some communities like to be broken and I even I will say it, but if you look at it damage-wise, they're really not. They can attack sure multiple times, but they do have such a limited resource behind their key points. I.e. the uh what do you call it? Uh step well, they got I think Flurry of Blows. I will say, yeah. Step of the wind that monks get access to that can double their movement speed is a ridiculous ability. But I think it is Flurry of Blows. I think Flurry of mm -hmm. Blows is great and all, but they don't get a lot of key points in the beginning and they are limited. So if you increased their damage capabilities, I would say maybe look at maybe changing how many key points, where they get the key points, right? You could probably keep key points as they are if all of a sudden they're hitting with a D12. And, or even, like, again, a D12. I, honest to God, mm -hmm. I can make such a world of difference. Then again, how right. many times have I have you ever rolled a 12 on a D12? <laughs> yeah, quite a few. I played a lot of Barbarians. Really? I uh, I've ro yeah. probably rolled it three times. All of them have been sub-6. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I love my D12 die. Um, but that was the first thing I changed, was that I really kept it the same at most of the other levels. I just upped it at the later levels to a D12 just because it felt better. Like like I said, a Flame Tongue Longsword is going to do 3D6, so it's still going to do more, but you're making up for it with the, the extra attacks that you have to roll and, and all that stuff. So the first main ability. So I want to point out that when creating a subclass, I know I mentioned it before, but I just want to reiterate it. Pull up a subclass from the same main class. So I pulled up a monk one, and I saw where the abilities for the specific subclass were and what they had. So there's like, hey, here's some social, some combat, some or just all combat or just all social at certain levels. So like bar uh, barbarians a lot of time at level six get some class features they're usually more out of combat focused. So I try to keep with those themes when I create things. So the first thing that I did was at level three, I call it Way of the Lightning Soul just to stick with the D&D theming. At third level, you can spend two key points to transform your body into the reflection of the electricity surging through your soul. You gain the following benefits for one minute. Movement speed increases by 10, so that automatically is... 20 over your base because of the monk bonus movement speed that you get from the class itself. Your attacks now deal lightning damage to overcome some resistances, and your first attack against a creature each round deals an extra D 1d4 of lightning damage. Like so, 
You for two job at limiting you didn't decide to go at more than a d4 and it's mm. only the very first attack i think that is very mm. yeah wow i really well, like and it yeah. and it favors you getting up in the mix which means that also you only have one flurry of blows left so it, you are trading off but you know you could run up to two creatures attack one for the extra d4 and attack another for an extra d4 but you couldn't stack it on the same target yeah, um, which, is, which is huge. Right. At, at the end of that minute, um, the surge leaves your body, but you can spend additional key points to stay in the form, one key point for each additional uh, minute. So basically, you could then spend your third and final key point at level three to do it for two minutes instead of one minute. So if it's a longer combat, you have a way to keep going, similar to a barbarian rage, without having to spend two key points, which is fairly hefty early on to get back into the form. And that was at which level again? That's at level three. Level so that's three. just all at level three. Then, you know, we keep going on. Deflect missiles is common with monks. So is slow fall, all of that stuff. I, I left all of that unchanged. Okay. At level six is the next ability for the subclass. I called it Disciple of Storms. At level six, you gain the following benefits while the weather is stormy and or lightning shoots through the sky. You gain dark vision of 60 feet. If you already have dark vision, it increases by 30. You gain proficiency in stealth and acrobatics. If you already have proficiency in both of those skills, you gain expertise in both of those. At level 6, when you critically hit with an attack dealing lightning damage, you regain one key point. Question for you. Yeah. So would you then allow like a religion check here? To maybe pray to your god, for instance, if it is like a storm-based god, to say, mm -hmm. "Hey, can you help me out here?" Yeah, I would. I would one hundred percent, especially yeah. if they were going to go like Tempest Domain Cleric, yes, or exactly something like that. I would one hundred percent giving given that. But also the critical critically strike with the attack, uh, lightning dealing lightning damage to a game one key point is not only when it's stormy outside. So that's a universal feature. It's just, hey, it's a way for you on the, you know, 5% chance that you crit, you get a key point back, which is nice because you, your attacks all deal lightning damage. And did you maintain the unarmored? Uh, are, are you increasing with the unarmored movement as well? Just to be sure here. Yes. So yeah. like I'm okay. basically, there's unarmored movement and then there's this subclass is adding on to that unarmored. On top of it. So, so you, just yeah, so at level three, instead of, 10 feet you get 20 feet okay. while you're in your storm i love that. you know your storm your, your, you. your lightning soul I love so that, yeah. i've debated limit removing the weather condition on that so i wanted to hear your thoughts about having those abilities limited to when it's you know it's dark stormy cloudy outside i think i think it fits i think about it. how many creatures for instance i have advantage uh within dimmer uh dim light or darkness right, right? shadowed right how many creep how many geez how many subclasses have that idea as well in dim light you're uh in complete darkness or dim light you can cause an extra additional five six uh, a d12 of like damage of necromancy for instance if it's like shadow or something like that right it's very unique and think about how many times the condition is going to apply to that i think it can go either way, but I'm with you. If you roll, let's say like a D20, uh, you know, do an ability check and you roll a natural, uh, I'm not going to say natural, twenty. I would set the DC a little high here because you are going to affect, you know, the weather, but just say, mm -hmm. dear Halor, if you right. don't mind, can you make it stormy? 
at least like give me a little drizzle yeah give yeah. me a drizzle <laughs> i'm good yeah and, and, and i think you know those two skills um, stealth and ac acrobatics are always good on monks mm -hmm. uh who kind of operate sometimes as a pseudo infiltrator so it, it were i think it works thematically i think um well I will say this much, like uh, religion is what, again, I always forget, intelligence. Wisdom. So may, wisdom. Oh, no, it's intelligent? It's intelligence. I'm looking at it's it It's intelligence, right you're right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's why I'm glad. Yeah, so, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it, it is what it is on that, but I think that with the, I think the main ability of that is really the critically, the critical hits getting key points back, similar to Gunslinger Fighter from Critical Role getting the grit points back. Yeah. I like that mechanic. I ripped it from that. I was like, this makes sense for monks like it's monks so need cool. a way to refresh their key points this makes it very easy God, uh, six level two you're only talking six key points like how many mm -hmm. of those ability you're not having much that's yeah. basically three combats if you're doing lightning soul Correct. every combat that's two key points so i mean it, you know it really does burn pretty fast so um we jump now let's see here we to 11th level yeah so we, it's... we got we get evasion and still mindness at seventh mm -hmm. we get uh the asi improvement at eighth Unarmed movement improvement at nine, purity of body at ten, and then like you said, eleven here. Improved lightning soul. Nice. So at eleventh, uh, at eleventh level, your skill with your soul's volatile nature yields the following improved benefits while in your lightning soul form. The extra movement increases from ten to twenty feet. So now at level eleven, instead of the normal plus twenty that you get as a monk, you get a plus forty to your movement speed, only while you're in that form. Your extra damage per hit also increases from a, to a 1d6. You also gain two new abilities while in your lightning soul form. Now when you hit with an attack that deals lightning damage, you can teleport to an unoccupied space within 10 feet. I love it. Which I'm not even making it a bonus action because it fits in with... Uh, when I was kind of envisioning this, I was watching... Um, Oh gosh, what was what was that show? Um, it's it's an anime. It's Asta, the Black Bulls. Why am I drawing a blank on it? Oh, I can't remember. But there was a the, the character in this anime. It's going to drive me nuts. I, I got to look it up. Uh, I ha I have to. <laughs> uh, Black Clover. That's it. Okay, I didn't yeah, even need to look it up. Black Clover. Okay, never, but yeah. there's a character Luck who is a lightning sort of wielder, and his like fighting style is very like hit teleport hit teleport hit teleport almost because he's moving so fast and that's what i wanted to kind of mirror with this and it's only 10 feet so you got to think realistically it's not adding too much more and it's very similar to like when a wizard casts blink or uh when um hex blades get that bonus action teleport from whatever one of that bells or something they get a bonus action yeah. teleport so I, I think this is completely you know, fine at 11th level. It's, yeah, not a the, issue, yeah. the other thing that you get at 11th level is your flurry of blows now is three attacks instead of two. Yeah. So kind of keeping the scaling up there with fighters who get, who are about to get their third attack. This is still, you still have to use your bonus action. You still have to use a key point and you still already have to be in lightning soul, which is another two key points. So you're using three of your 11 key points to do this, but it, it there's a payoff for it. Yeah. So, you know, you are doing extra damage, you're teleporting, you're doing all this stuff. So I kept, again, the normal monk abilities after that. Tongue of the Sun and Moon at level 13, where you can understand all spoken languages. Diamond Soul, we'll, yeah. we'll go through, you know, all of this when we do a more subclass breakdown. 
But so the last thing that I gave was Lightning Soul Mastery, which is at level 17. This is at 17th level, yep. 17, the keystone for the subclass. So at level 17, your mastery with your soul's true form yields the following improved benefits while you're in your Lightning Soul form. Your extra movement speed is now up to 30 feet. So at level 17, it's normally plus 25. You're now at plus 55. And at levels 19 and 20, you're at plus 60. So you're really booking it around, especially if you consider Step of the Wind, oh any God. other ways that you might have you know, increased your movement. The extra damage on your hits increases to a D8. So again, that's just the first attack on a creature per round. So you could you know, be in a swarm of enemies, boom, 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 hit five different enemies. That's you know, five extra D8s. And it's good is- for dishing out damage to a bunch of different targets and this is the ability that started at d4 you did such a good job scaling it i love this feature i am not playing my character anymore i would like to request something for you for (laughs) element and then uh the last thing that i gave on it before i go into the the final part of it is your flurry of blows now does four attacks instead of three i think if you're going to be spending resources like that a fighter is going to be making axe and surge eight attacks I'm still spending, you know, a decent amount of my key points. I'm rolling the attacks. I'm dealing less damage still than a fighter with a flame tongue long sword on average. I'm just keeping say, it a little closer. Which I will say at that level 17. So it's quite yeah. a bit of key points. You're finally right. getting into where the key points, oh my God, okay, I finally started having some. But let's right. face it, you're you're at 17th level. Let's You're fighting creatures that are demigods at this point. Especially in a party of three and up, you're you're fighting strong motherfuckers. I will not lie here. You're taking CR and flushing it out the window, which is yeah, it really does not matter. I was about to say it's your favorite thing that I've ever said. Yeah, Yeah. truly. But then the last thing is probably where I need your opinion on it because I think there is some way for me to improve it. So the last thing, it's not a part of the lightning soul form, is is also at this level you have learned to weaponize your soul's electric rate nature at a greater range. Whenever you hit a creature with an attack that deals lightning damage. You can spend five key points to force any number of creatures within 15 feet of the target to make a dexterity saving throw against your spell save. On a failed save, the creature takes one roll of your martial arts die as lightning damage, plus the extra damage if you're in your lightning soul form. Any creature that succeeds takes no damage. So at this level, it would be a D12 plus a D8 for five key points. I would make it half. Half on a uh, half on a success. I think you you are literally your entire premise right here is that you are so infused with the power of the storm itself that Mm -hmm. lightning courses through you. The very essence of lightning courses through you. You I was debating permanent that it's no even if you dodge, you don't dodge Mm -hmm. it all the way. Right, and I was also debating on including since it is five key points. It's basically going to be one fourth of your total key points at level 20 yeah i i think that i'm i'm gonna add in there it ignores resistance but not immunity to lightning damage i, I think that's that only fair if you're going to spend that many key points because if you're in your lightning soul form you've spent seven key points already yeah of your 17 like you've spent a, almost half of what you have to do this yeah, so more, it's right? great for to give you a little bit of an aoe you know, help finish off a few of those stragglers from the wizard's fireball or cloud kill or, you know, whatever, you know, 
crazy spell combination that they that, you know that they did about it like you're, you're fighting a creature let's say i'm fighting a storm giant or i'm fighting you know you know i know some campaigns have uh, have them here and there but you know a cloud giant and things like that but i am so infused with the essence of lightning that mm -hmm. your resistance to my ability doesn't matter i pierce through it that is how powerful i am and that's it you're only getting what 18 19 and 20. after that yep. all you're getting empty body uh empty body an another asi and then perfect self like you might as well make this the piece de resistance like let's see it right here this is the top of it this is 17. and so yeah. that i just added in because i think you're right uh i'm gonna make uh half damage on that save i think that is um appropriate but i'm gonna add to the lightning soul mastery that while you're in your lightning soul form you ignore resistance to lightning damage Agreed. i think that if you're gonna spend it i agree i like that sort of theme that you've now become lightning or electricity personified i, I think that that makes a, a, a ton a ton of sense on it but that's that's the subclass that really i mean obviously there are all the random monk things that are in there we're not going to go through all that this isn't really a subclass breakdown it's just more of the the homebrew but thoughts improvements i love it i mean guys uh heads up for to all our listeners but as well let us know if you guys have ideas use our uh use our comment box use our q a box uh ask yeah. away let us know ideas next week we'll discuss uh my shadow domain uh, one that I'm kind of adapting and I'm very much still in its early stages, but there's, when it comes to homebrewing a subclass and I'm not, we're not talking about a class that is a whole other endeavor and mm -hmm. holy hell, is it an endeavor? <laughs> oh yeah. I've tried before. It is same. Same. I, it is it is a interesting, interesting time for all my final fantasy nerds. I tried to homebrew a red mage class myself. I made it about six levels in and I wanted to claw my eyes out. I'm like, I do not understand how to balance this thing out. Mm -hmm. So I started diving deep on the internet and I found one of somebody who had already done it for me. And I just yeah. made tweaks and adjustments there. It, I did do a I did do a full Ranger rework. Yes. At one point. That's right. You and, did a revised Ranger. Uh yeah. that's right. We'll talk about that one too. Yeah, that one that one I gave I spent way too much time. I mean, I redid a lot of the like magic i added like you three or four or too, five right? yeah i did like three or four or five different subclass extra subclasses like it, it was a lot it, and some of them are a little bit i think too strong but oh, you know buddy, whatever how it, it i have missed these conversations oh yeah. <laughs> my man but i'm glad that you enjoyed that it's nice to get some feedback on it because i do think i submitted it to my dm that i i play in a campaign that he runs um, because i am currently playing a monk and um my monk's main thing was that he doesn't kill the main thing but he just had his first kill um at an interrogation related to some backstory stuff he was like captured as a slave basically and tortured uh by a race of uh, slavers known as Niyogi, for those of you who do Spelljammer, um, basically giant spider creatures who are very brutal. Heard of them, yeah. And because this guy was working with it, my character kind of lost his cool um, and now is kind of having this internal uh, fight battle for like where he's going to go. And I'm kind of working on it with my DM that there's kind of like three possible outcomes where like he goes down this like darker path and becomes like switches from ascendant dragon monk to shadow monk and is kind of more into like has absorbed this sort of like 
I will do whatever is necessary to exterminate what I think is evil. I love it. Or go on the more good side and become an astral self monk where it's like the purity of my of my body, the purity of my conviction is enough to overcome. Or if there's some mid-ground, and the mid-ground would be this subclass, so I'm kind of trying to finalize it so that it's, you know, ready just in case it is. You know, You've done that is the job at it. I, I absolutely love it. Uh, DMs, as a heads up here, my fellow DMs, don't be afraid to ever do that. If if someone's taken six levels, I'll never forget a good friend of mine. They did uh, my. Uh, they had a warlock split. They had a a padlock, right? So a paladin warlock split, right? But they did so many things in the opposite order that the person, uh, their DM, switched their level class around, right? Mm -hmm. I think it was like a six three split, right? Uh, six levels of paladin, three levels of warlock, right? And then all of a sudden they were six levels of warlock uh, or X that reverse it. But it was, mm -hmm. it, don't be ever afraid to go, hey, you have a homebrew? Good, let's talk about it. Okay, what have you uh, dived in so far? Okay, I like this, I like this. Great, mm -hmm. let's implement it. You could be yep. this class. It's and why I get obsessed with homebrew class subclasses because they can be so much fun. And I think that's definitely going to be a good episode for us to do on a later date is talking about switching subclass and switching class mid-campaign. I think oh, that's yeah, a really, it's, it's something that comes up fairly regularly. I think it's that. But I think I'm hearing the the question music. Is it is it time for, do, do we have a question, Mo? Um, you know, I was thinking of a question. But you and I did talk about it, and I was running a little low on ideas today. So I'm going to use the question you gave me. I kind of like it. And it's a really good one because I, the minute you said it, I was like, I already know what my answer is. Mm. Out of all the abilities out there, Brewmaster Austin, for classes, in particular classes, right? We're not going to go, uh, you know, feats or anything like that. Which one do you think are some of the best? Mm. And obviously, I'm going to exclude action search from my answer because that is the the power gamer in me is going to be like there is yeah. only one correct answer it is action surge two turn two actions is better than one fight me yep. on it um it and is guys, it is just it is just the strongest the ability with a fighter yep. think about that that is literally in the higher levels you just hear brewmaster austin talking about it that mm -hmm. means you can attack eventually three times twice <laughs> that is yeah well and attacks. think about it and think about it with like sorcerers and stuff with how their meta magic stuff. I mean, you can really get into some absolutely insane levels of damage with spell casting, you know, multi-class. So I'm obviously throwing it out the window. My number one that I think, and I don't know if many people will agree with me that it should be number one is actually cutting words from bards, because I do not think there is enough um, value placed on the fact that as a bard, I can just, as a reaction, protect you from an attack by cutting words, or I can lower their spell, say their spell roll on an important, you know, hold person or dominate monster with cutting. You know, I really think that it's such a strong ability that it is undervalued by things like blade song or rage or sneak attack or smite. You know, I think that some of those are commons in in the D, D community but i don't see enough love for cutting words so my answer is cutting words obviously excluding action search you're gonna you're gonna love this one right i was leaning towards two but as you and i are talking i remembered the one that i think is even more important than the first one mm -hmm. my first one was going to be evasion 
I love Evasion. Mm. I think it is one of it's the good, most amazing really ones out there. Yeah. yeah. It's so good, guys. It, you, yeah. However, I forgot wizards exist, in particular, School of Divination wizards. Mm. Important roles, guys. Holy yep. shit. Let me read yeah, for it directly for you guys. Those of you that do not know, starting at second level, when you choose this school, glimpses of the future begin to press in your awareness. When you finish a long rest, roll two d20s and record the numbers rolled. Otherwise, write them down on the side. You can replace any attack roll, saving throw, or ability check by you or a creature made that you can see with one of these foretelling rolls. Meaning, hey, you just rolled a natural 20? Cool. Save it for a check that you make sure you want to make that day. Or even better, you just rolled a natural one. Awesome. The bad guy comes down, about to strike your companion in the face. They rolled a natural 20. But you, the divination wizard, rewrite, rewrite fate. No, they didn't. They rolled a natural one. And that's what you dictated because you're basically the divine at that point. Mm -hmm. And it is so and cool. I love evasion, but man. <laughs> halfling, obviously, you don't roll in that one. So that that's great, right? Take the lucky feet. You get more rolls, right? You get more rolls that you can say, nah, DM, I'm going to roll again. You get port. But also, most people forget that wizards get access to a handy-dandy spell called Simulacrum. Oh, shit. And your okay. Simulacrum also gets important roles because it inherits all of your abilities and spells it just can't improve so technically as written you can get double portent rolls plus lucky and you at level like 17 you've got like nine dice every long rest that you can just say re-roll or here's a whatever i rolled for the port to one of our players uh at the alamon uh campaign traceless path this is for you if you didn't just cringe as much as I did right now. <laughs> Power gaming. Guys, do I'll put it bluntly here. Yes, we do have a PO box coming. We will release the uh, the uh, the address on next uh, week's episode. I was going to have it today. I apologize. That is on me. Been doing a lot of traveling recently. But uh, team, give us a review. Let us know what we we're thinking. I know a lot. Of, we have a lot of uh, listeners right now. Leave us a review in Apple or iTunes. We are available on obviously Spotify. Review us, send us, tell people, tell your friends about us. Let them know what you think. Join the Discord. Upon us. Season two is still going strong, guys. Season two, baby. Season two, we are having but a blast, guys. Look with forward. that, with that note, we are going to for sure be running some more giveaways here in the future. Um, prob probably here in the next couple months before summertime. Um, obviously, we're going to get a couple episodes out of the uh, campaign once that gets, you know, full swing and rolling. We'll kind of see, you know, what we're going to do there on it. PO Box, as Mo mentioned. But uh, with that, it's been great getting back to you guys, getting back to talking with Mo, getting back to talking D&D. &D, and until next time, part of the pod. <laughs>